Hey, welcome back to the Tunes Podcast. Uh, I'm Harold. This is episode six. We have Jackson Compton in the studio. Uh, real quick, I just want to remind you guys where you could find us on social. Uh, that's Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. Uh, you could find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. And also on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And so, but yeah, Jackson, I'm glad you're able to come in, man. Uh, glad you're able to make it. Thanks, Harold. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was just talking to Jackson before we started um, that I had done research about people that I wanted to have on the podcast, and he came up. I think I was just either looking for people or someone had suggested him to me, and so I just uh, DM'd him on Instagram, and you know we had like this whole back and forth. It was awesome. I was like, okay, cool. Like, okay, I'll you up. can tell him the truth. Yeah. It, it was actually a gay porn site. That was and it. We yeah. kind of met that way. Uh, Midget no, amputee double. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> gay porn. Uh, but yeah, it was a. Uh, <laughs> it was funny and just like a you know back and forth that you know I messaged him, DM'd him on Instagram, and then ended up that uh, we uh, had both been invited to be part of this uh, Harry Potter festival, the Wizard on Wizards on Western festival yes. coming up November 12th. And, um, <laughs> we both ended up at this, uh, meeting and we realized we'd never met in person, but we kind of went around the thing, you know, introduced ourselves and, uh, he introduced himself and I was like, Oh my God, like this is Jackson. Like, it's so funny that it was just such a serendipitous it, way it to like meet very, you in person. Very, but I, you know, I am like, Kevin Bacon does not hold anything on me. Like I am two degrees of separation. Either I know you or I know somebody who knows you. So <laughs> I'm not surprised there. Yeah. Is that just like a product of doing things just around the city, doing different projects? And the art community here is fairly small, you know, and social media definitely has made it smaller. Everybody kind of knows everybody. If you, if you, you're involved in the 48 hour film project, or if you're, you know, involved in, in the arts in any way, I mean, you have a tendency to kind of run into the same people. They kind of run in the same circles and, you know, you, you end up meeting one person who introduces you to three or four other people in their little clique and, you know, then you're friends with them and then you find out that they're actually know somebody that you already know. And then you're like, Oh yeah, we do this and that. And you know, so yeah, it's, I, it, it happens. Yeah. It's wild. I, I think you're right. Like it's, it's a small scene. It's, it's like small, big, like it, it, there's so much, there's so many people to know, but it seems like when you actually start to get to know people, it's like, Oh, there, it feels like there's really only like four or five people to like do the same thing that I do. Right. But then like your circle start getting bigger. Cause then you see like all these people doing all these different things. Like yeah. I think people have their hands in several different things. And well, I think and you're a good Testament to that. Sure. And you know, I'm a big believer in, I want people to succeed in whatever it is that they're doing, you know, and if I can help out in any way, I mean, I believe people's time is valuable, but I also think that, you know, if someone is legitimately trying to, you know, come up and something that you know about, then, you know, there's no reason not to share the knowledge. I'm not, I'm not a believer in these dicks that, you know, knowledge is power. I'm going to lord it over everyone because what they don't know, you know, that, that puts me on top. I don't ever want to be that kind of person, you know, because if I can help somebody get to a position, then maybe one of these days when I'm in need and they're in a spot where I'm not, then maybe they can go, Hey, I remember when you helped me do this, you know, what are you doing? Hey, come help me with this. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think that's definitely true. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people, it, there's a lot of people on both sides of it. Cause I think there's people that are actively trying not to be like that, you know, just egotistical, you know, well, there's enough of those people out there. That's what I was going to say is that there's enough of those people that it kind of 
ruins it and, and not ruins it, but kind of puts like a bad taste in your mouth. Like well, if sure. you're trying to break into especially if you're someone that's trying to break into the scene or if you're new in the scene and your first interactions with somebody like that, you're like, oh man, is this like how it is here? And it's, yeah. it's so, it couldn't be so the opposite, but. It's and it really is the opposite. Yeah. More more so than anything. Um, the people that are trying to make a name for themselves are the ones that end up getting a reputation that nobody wants to do anything with them. And then, you know, eventually get to a point where because nobody wants to do with them, they kind of just disappear off the scene. Yeah. Well, that's why. And that's just I think that's kind of the, the virtue of it. You know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, then I think, you know, good things are going to come your way. Well, and it was thing. nice that, you know, you're paying me a lot of money to be here today, right? Yeah, there you go. That, that fat check, that uh, royalty uh, check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get you that 35 cent check in the mail. Thank uh, you, man. That's more than I made <laughs> off of Redbubble last month. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, kind of transition into that. Um, you, uh, I think, maybe a little bit well known as like a comic book artist uh, locally. Well, I, I'm I'm a fine artist, but I'm, I'm not necessarily a sequential artist. In fact, I suck at sequential art because I'm very meticulous and detail oriented. So I will never be able to make money doing my own work because it really does take me a long time to to do the artwork. I mean, if I was to do a, you know a, a nice painting, you know, 24 by 36 or larger or whatever, you know, I'm gonna spend 40, 50, 60 hours worth of time on it. And when you're making comic books, you just can't do that. Yeah. So you know, I. I I'm a writer more than I am an artist now. And so, you know, I have ideas for dozens and dozens of projects and I have gotten to the point that I've found artists who match up with the concepts that I have for my stories. And then I have them do my artwork for me because one, they're faster and plus they do it a hundred times better than I ever could, (laughs) you know, or, or they'll bring something to the table where, you know, I, I do my scriptings for my stories and nothing's really set in stone other than, you know, the story arc itself. Like a, a page is, you know, it's more a guideline than anything other than the dialogue in it. You know, um, the artist may like, OK, you've got six panels here, but I got this great idea that we could do the same thing in three and then, you know, pitch me what they want to do. And I'm like, I'm totally down for that. If you make the book better. Wonderful. Like I said, it's just a guideline. Yeah, that's interesting. But just because like. It's almost like a, you know, you're starting it and you kind of have this, you know, the, the, the bones of it set. And then someone in, someone comes in like an artist or someone with maybe a different like mindset or like different experience or different style comes in sure. and they, you know, put some, like bring it to life in a way that maybe you didn't like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. Or like oh, you're saying, absolutely. like they, people will take like something you had as six panels and they'll break it down to three and you're like, oh man, like I didn't even think of like. Exactly. That it could happen like that. Well, and, and a lot of it, too, was, you know, when we first started the Nadir Zenith comic book with artist Jerry Bennett, uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of scripting knowledge then. I was writing prose at the time. I'd only had two published books at that point. And it was it was it's different to go from prose to the bare boneness of a comic book script because you really have to have what's essential and you need to tell a story in 22 pages in a one issue book. And even though that story was originally based off of a novel I had started writing, it was always in my head, you know, like a movie where I was like, this would be a great comic book or this would be a great movie. And so, you know, I was always thinking visually like you should do for comic books. And 
once I, you know, I had the intro to the storyline on this thing, I really had to kind of pare it down to what was actually going to be in the comics because you can put as much as you want in prose. You can go as flowerly detailed as you can possibly go and never say anything. You know, you can create a mood that way, but you can't really do that in comic books. You really have to rely on, you know, your visuals and something that, that cuts, you know, really quickly together. So you don't lose the interest of the reader. Yeah. And so that's, pretty much why it was a it was a little tough for me initially it you know it was getting my feet underneath me until i got the rhythm of it and once i had the rhythm of it man it was great because i was able to kind of plot what i wanted for a story arc and know how many issues it was going to be and then know exactly how much is going to be content wise per issue and there's kind of an art to it, but there's also kind of a science to it as well. And, and it really does take experience of actually just doing it. And if you're an aspiring writer, what I highly suggest you do is go pick up your favorite comic book and then literally go find a script example that one of these writers have done, use it as a template, and then literally describe what you're seeing on the page as though you were going to tell an artist how to draw it. And when you start doing that, you will pick up so much. You, you'll start to see how the patterns flow and how panels move and, you know, what kind of content is where, where you, what do you want to leave off on, what you want to start on. It, it, it is formaic in a, in a way, but in a good way because you want to lead your, your reader's eye through the book. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, almost like a natural digression type thing. You start sure. with the with the end result you work backwards to see how you got there sure and that kind of like can help it help you build like a skeleton for it in exactly. your head and then that way whenever you're like breaking down the story it's like okay this is where it leaves off here we're picking that up and this next issue here right and so yeah i think that's that's a interesting way to like think about that did, did you have like your background would you say was more of like a, as a writer or was it more of like in a as like a an artist like well, as far as like my, drawing and everything my actual background was an it background believe it or not you know i had oh. a degree in computer science and i was a, a server ban- uh, operator and you know i did this stuff for years and years and years i was server admin and uh, network engineer and it's like I hated it. I still hate it to this day, which is why I'm not doing it anymore. And, you know, the only reason that I wasn't doing what I'm doing now then is because I needed money at the time. Yeah. You know, and it was a way to go, oh, well, nobody else is doing this stuff. I can do this and make the money. Once I have the money, then I can start working on my projects, which is kind of what ended up happening. But, you know, when I first started going to school, it was, it was a graphic art major. But then I learned really quickly to do an illustration work that I was really too slow to make any money at it. You know, <laughs> um, I knew that I had good story ideas for things and I, they kind of got shelved. You know, I, I kept all my notebooks and my note cards and, and everything just so I would have them later down the road. And then and I'm spending all these years, you know, being a server admin and realizing that I was working so much doing that that I, I didn't really have time to do my projects. And so then I really kind of had to start setting a time aside to do this and not be working the other side so much. And yeah, you know, so kind of just like making the effort to like actually pursue it and make it happen. Type of sure. Thing. You know, I mean, if you can find a means to do what you're doing, make the time for it, even if you're working, you know, the two part time jobs or, you know, the, the low paying uh, full time job, Make the time to do it because, I mean, if you don't do it and you're, you're going to say, well, you know, I'm going to do this when 
when I get the chance to do this, that chance may never come unless you take the opportunity yourself to make it happen. Yeah, that's true. Um, so kind of in that vein of like, as far as like, you know, getting into the design and everything, um, was anime kind of like always in the background of that. I know you talked about like being a fans, being a fan of like certain series growing up, like star blazers and stuff like that. Um, was that always just kind of in the back burner? Like, and that kind of was like the inspiration for you to kind of gear towards more of like, well, a I think comic book style. I've always wanted like to do comic books. I mean, I, I never really associated comic books with the anime until I, I ran into, um, uh, Akira as a manga after I had seen it in the theater back when it first released. I didn't know that that stuff existed at that time. Um, and I was like, wow, this is only a part of this you know whole series. And then uh, the other one that I read was Lone Wolf and Cub, which is excellent, excellent series too. And it had been around for years and I, I really knew nothing about that. So I, I didn't realize that there was a comic book aspect to the anime then but when it did, it opened up the doors for me to, you know, see that as, you know, uh, another avenue of doing comic books. Because when you're a kid, you know, you're thinking comic books are superhero books. Comic books are Marvel or DC, you know, yeah. and that's really not the case anymore either. Uh, now, I don't even read Marvel and DC very often. I, I read more, you know, indie books or, or things from Dark Horse or Oni Press or uh, Top Cow. I love Top Cow. Anything that uh, Matt Hawkins puts out, just incredible stories. Very, very gifted writer. Yeah, and it's interesting to see, um, you know, you talked about Akira. Um, the adaptation, uh, the anime adaptation versus, the like, the manga even. Like, because you can almost see, like, okay, what more so with, like, an anime, it would probably be a little bit more true to, like, the source material. Yeah. But when you see something that's been, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but something that's been adapted and then uh there's like entirely too much source material to pull from right and at that point you're like ah like if it's something that you really enjoy you're like ah man like they left out this thing or this thing like if it's something that is like one of your passions or whatever like you start to pick out the minute things it's like why didn't they put that specific thing in like that's so dumb you know readers anybody who reads a book and then sees the movie are always going to be like God, that sucked. They didn't even include yeah. this. They didn't include that. You, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. You know, there's only so much content that can be put into our movie. You, you can't take a 1500 page book and make a two hour movie out of it. It's just not going to work. You're yeah, better off making feasible. a series out of it somehow. Um, a la game of Thrones, you, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the source material, they try to stay true to it. And I think Akira, they did a pretty good job with that. They did stay pretty close to the, mm-hmm. the source material. Now, this new movie that they're talking about doing as a live action version of Akira set in New York, I think it's going to fall flat I didn't even on its hear face. About that. Yeah, so it's supposed yeah. to be a live action? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. Um, there's, there's been a bunch of people attached to that property. It could be dead in the water now, but. I, I think it turned a lot of people off when they, they took it away from Japan. Anytime yeah. you whitewash things, I mean, the ghost mm-hmm. in the shell got a, a little bit of a lashing for that. With, the, uh, the movie. Yeah. When the, the movie version of it got a little bit of it, although that was done really well. And I think it kept pretty close to the source material too. Um, and I heard that, did you watch, did you watch see that movie? The, I did. I heard that somehow they tied it. And I didn't actually get around to watching that one, but there's an interesting way, I guess that they ended up tying it around, like tying it, back to like Japanese culture at the very end. 
I mean, it, it is Japanese culture. Yeah. You're just, you have a character who looks more like an anime character than a Japanese person, you know, which was always the intent. And she looks a lot like that character because even that character doesn't look Japanese. Mm-hmm. You know, she's in a robot body. Yeah. So, yeah. It was just like one of those things that they were going to nitpick about either way yeah yeah it was it was going to happen regardless but the visuals are really really interesting um there's a lot of almost shot for shot scenes from their original one you know that's that's pretty incredible so i mean it tries to stay you know close to the source material it tries to uh let everybody know that they're they're being faithful to the source material so i i think i think a lot of the things that were said about it were really unfounded yeah, I think it was just people lashing out, you know, just to do it's it. The people who are going to be against it, no matter what. Yeah, it's going um, to be these people that are always hiding on Facebook behind their their nasty comments the trolls, because, man. yeah, because you know, I'm not standing in front of you, or you wouldn't say that to me because I'd knock you down on the ground, exactly. kind of thing. You know, um, it's interesting you bring that up because um, another one of the guests that I had on, the same uh, Tim Wynn, he's a local videographer, but he um, he was talking about like the Netflix, the new uh, death note yes. and how he kind of liked the way that they did the adaptation because you know, yes, it was set in Seattle, but um, they made it to where it was, they almost like localized it, you know right. what I mean? So like they had like an ethnically diverse cast. Um, but at the same time it was like, you know, like the same story, but it's not like every single character was just like white and now right. it's in America. Right. He said the way that, you know, in his opinion, the way they adapted it was uh, was very true to the source material. And it basically all they did was localize it. And so I think it's interesting when you see, um, you know, there's dubs that we watch um, specifically uh, like uh, I think it was I, I can never remember the reference, but I think it was um, Steins Gate maybe was the reference that another guest uh, tapped on was. um you know, it was originally in Japanese, uh, but they did a great job with the dub in that they would localize the humor. So, like, they would uh, bring in, you know, the show and, you know, have the dub. But instead of just translating it, you know, word for word or whatever, um, they would take something that maybe was, you know, uh, a traditional, like, Japanese trope or, like, joke that you would only get in, like, if you're part of the Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. But they do a great way of localizing it in that they take it and they say, well, this is like the best translation that we can, you know, give you in English for context so that you understand like why this joke works. And I think it's true because you can watch, you could be watching something and they don't take the time to localize something like that. And so you're just like, what the heck was that? Like (laughs) you don't get it because you're not in the know. Exactly. And so I think it's interesting whenever, you know, it's that, it's like the two sides of it, you know, either they brought it in, localized it and like, you can kind of get it or like you just watch the original and it's completely like literally translated and just like goes right over your head. And so right. I think it's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting parallel that I never thought sure. about before talking to some of my guests. Well, and you, you also have translations that happen, um, for marketing purposes too. I mean, Robotech is a great example of that. You had three completely different series that were unrelated and when they were sold as a bundle to Harmony Gold, and it's like, we need to find a way to tie this together. 
because we don't have enough episodes here to go to syndication. (laughs) (laughs) So you have, we got to retain our dollars. So they redubbed it in such a way that they actually created a continual storyline where you have these generations of characters and it was a clever way to do it. Um, You kind of have to in those, those situations and, the the Japanese version on its own, I've, I've watched the dub of it and saw how different, you know, the, the, that that storyline is because of the content of the the voiceover, and it, you know it's 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 really different. But the, I think Robotech kind of stands on its own in its American version because that was a pretty intensive uh, undertaking to be able to tie these un- completely unrelated series together, you know. Yeah, it's almost like a. And the way they end up tying it together, it's almost like an anthology. Sure, and it is. It yeah. really is how they how they pulled it off. Um, you have you know the storyline that happens with the the space fortress falling to Earth, and then ten years of it being rebuilt in secret with them, you know, using the Robotech technology to prepare for the aliens that are going to come back for this ship. And you know, in the original story, that's not necessarily what the storyline yeah. was about, but it made more sense that way. It made it more uh, cohesive. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting the way that, you know, even bringing in dubs, the way that they kind of finesse it to where it's like, oh, okay, well, that makes more sense for the story to flow, like, together. Um, but enough that they're, like, a separate entity that it's almost, like, feels like, like, has the feel of an anthology. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's interesting. That's a... I never realized that, that that they were disjointed like that, yeah. but they were packaged as like a yeah, this is a three part series. Man, freaking marketing—that's how they get you. Like exactly, they finesse you, pull the uh, pull the cover over your eyes, and you don't know. <laughs> um, so the other one, uh, one of the other ones we talked about um, that you had mentioned that I thought was an interesting one that we haven't talked about yet on the show was uh, Speed Racer. <laughs> Speed Racer. Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> I love that I think a, a lot kid, of people man. don't think about that one. I, I know. And it, and it kind of is the granddaddy of them all, really. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, that was like one of the first ones. Yeah. And it was such a great hokey thing when you're a kid. You know, you, <laughs> you wanted the Mach 5 and you wanted that where the car would, you know, leap over yeah. everything else. And, you know, I was always fun and the song was always fun yeah you know? i like the uh i don't know if they were just what necessarily they'd be called in the show but like they're like bumpers or like transitions yeah. <laughs> it'd just be like you know the high trumpets being yeah. and just you know an action pose yeah for the transition to make it look like it's actually action <laughs> yeah and so it's just like an interesting way to see it it's and like the six million dollar man running in slow motion because <laughs> he's really going really really fast <laughs> But uh, that was almost a show that was, um, you know, you talked about it being hokey, and that's so true. But almost like formulaic in the way it was, because like, they were you, all the same you thing. You always ever. knew exactly. There was always a race. There was <laughs> yeah. always these guys trying to kill him, and the kid, and the monkey, always hid in the trunk. And then the uh, the mystery racer, that, which is his brother. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert! Ooh. If you haven't if you haven't seen Racer Speed X, racer, for racer X is not Speed Racer's brother. <laughs> He's not. Shh. <laughs> Uh, but that's another interesting one to uh, to bring up because that um, comes in another – it's like another one to talk about in the long line of failed adaptations in people's minds because, um, you know, they got so much backlash for that adaptation. I think uh, sure, but you know what? Em- I, I Emile think the, Hirsch was I think in it, I Cohen, think. Well, it's not Cohen Brothers anymore or it's – 
who? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, who, Coen brothers Co- are. No, brothers. no, no, it wasn't the Coens. It was the Wachowski. Sorry, the Wachowski siblings. siblings. Yes, let's yeah, use siblings. They. I know what you're. I know what you're. They, <laughs> I think, did a very true form version of that. You know, as I much think it as was as hokey and live action as it was an anime, but I don't. It's like one of those things. I don't understand all the backlash, but. They, they at the did same it time, that was just one. Like that the was a show hard was. one. Yeah, I mean, you you shouldn't expect something that's supposed to be all out serious. You know, yeah. it's not intended to be that way. It wasn't supposed to be that way. It was supposed to be a fun show, and it was fun. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting. It was like a Saturday morning one. Whenever I watched it, yeah, because I would watch it on Saturday mornings. But it was just it, it goes back to the um, people like watching these movies and being like, well, that's just. That would never happen like that. It's like it's a fucking it's car that like can jump Come over on. cars. Like, what do you mean? Like people talk about transformers. Like that would never happen. Like the fucking car is a train. They're it, robots yeah, in they're, disguise. Yeah, like, what do you mean? It's not really <laughs> the whole thing at its core is not realistic. Like, of what do you it's mean? Not. That's why we go watch these that's stupid things on the big screen because they're not realistic. Yeah, that's why it's great because we get to escape this awful reality for a little bit. And the, the <laughs> Star Blazers was another one that I really really loved as a kid. Um, the three series that they had there where they're fighting the common empire and they're trying to save earth from all the radiation and whatnot. I always loved the idea of this giant battleship being converted to a spaceship and then it goes off into space and the wave motion gun that, you know, takes forever to charge up. And once it does, it can wipe out a whole fleet of ships and a planet. And then of course they're, they're sitting ducks until it recharges again, you know, but it always saved them like the very yeah. end, you know, it was, was very like formulaic. A, that too. was going to say, was that one like a formulaic? Sure. Like, sure. You could always count on them waiting absolutely. for that gun. And then absolutely. But it was, it's kind of the precursor to what happens in Robotech too. Cause you know, you have this militaristic style and even the uniforms are real similar. The characters are drawn real similar too. You know, that they pulled a lot of their, their ideas from that early anime. Cause I'm pretty sure that that came out in the seventies. Yeah, I think that one was one of the yeah. uh, one of the earlier ones. And then, of course, uh, Battle of the Planets or um, Gotcha Man. It went by something else too. Um, it, it had gotten dubbed several times by two different companies for whatever reason. I guess when Turner got a hold of it. Yeah, there's multiple dubs. Like there's Casey Kasem did the voice yeah. for the character that I guess it was Mark in one version of it, and he's something else in another. version Shaggy of it. himself, huh? Yeah, yeah. And the idea of it was always really cool too. You know, I, it was that inspired me for a lot of the drawings I did as a child, man, the Phoenix, their ship was so cool. You know, they all had their own little vehicles that, you know, were housed inside this larger ship. And I always thought it was cool, you know, and I was always like drawing it all the time. And I I remember getting cardboard boxes and cutting them out and glue and tape. And I was like building my own Phoenix, you know, and I was painting it all up. And because I was a kid, you know, we couldn't afford a lot of things. I mean, like a really poor family and, you know, I have neighbors that we can, I can afford to buy like one Star Wars action figure, like every two or three months or something like that. And then you got one the kid who's got a hundred stormtroopers and an ad at Walker and you know, all this yeah. stuff. And you always felt like slighted because your parents couldn't afford to buy you these things. But in all honesty, when I took the time to actually go take the toilet paper rolls and the paper towel rolls and the cracker boxes and the oatmeal boxes and, and start literally looking at pictures and, and taking measurements. And, you know, I, I learned more about math, 
probably doing that than I, I was doing it in school because I was actually using it to apply it to something. And I built some of the coolest fucking stuff as a kid that my friends were like, oh, my God, man, can I have that? Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? You have your own out at Walker. Yeah, yeah but theme. yours is like almost life size to the figures and it looks really cool. And, you know, and and I, I was proud of those things, man. I was I, I love those things. I thought they were way better because when I finally got a look at like my friend's toys and I was like really that's all it does that's all you can put one guy in it yeah well yours <laughs> you know? is like yeah it's like, it's, it's <laughs> really? own i can thing. hold it's all really your stormtroopers in mine <laughs> yeah it's like your own thing you know you sure. made it your own because you know you kind of had that vision and you just made absolutely it like absolutely i did that for gi joe vehicles and stuff too man toothpaste boxes and balsa wood from old airplanes i could make anything <laughs> it's like the macgyver for toys pretty much <laughs> That's cool, man. I mean, that is definitely um, that is definitely true as far as like um, like I can see where you, I can feel where you're coming from on that because like just not, not having as much as other people and you try not to like you know put too much emphasis on that and like what you don't have and um, well, I think when you're a kid. You it's kind of hard. expect it yeah. because everybody else has it. You think you should have it too. And, yeah. you, and you don't have this realization of, you know, how much money things and where money comes from. And you don't have the perception. Yeah. yeah you know, uh, when you're barely getting by, man, you're lucky just to have a roof over your house, you, you, you know, and when you're a kid, you don't really think about that stuff. So, I mean, I was exposed to that early enough that, you know, I started realizing that that was a concept and I, and you know, I started living by the mantra that I kind of live by today and it's do more with less, you know, and the other one is I am not my things. So, yeah, I mean, if I, if I want to make something, the first thing I do is I start looking around to see what I have to begin with, <laughs> you know, and if I don't have it, where am I going to find it? And can I repurpose something? You know, can I use somebody's trash to, to do this instead of going and buying all of this yeah. new, you know, I think that goes, I mean, that's true because like, I think everyone knows just, you know, people that are just living in lack, you know what I mean? They're, it's like the people that are always thinking that they need more, yeah, yeah. no matter how much they have. You're never going to fill that hole. You all, yeah. And you never see a moving truck behind a hearse. You know what I mean? You can't take yeah. your stuff with you. So yeah. it's like, what's the point? You know what I mean? That just like you said, do more with less. And so that makes sense. Um, I think that's a great mindset. And, you know, whenever you are set up like that, to have, kind of have that empathy growing up, I think, you know, people are going to nat- naturally gravitate towards you like that because they see, you know, your humility. And it's always, I mean, it's great to see. Like, I appreciate that you're like that. Like, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I feel like if I'm ever in a position that I have more or I have something that somebody that doesn't have this could use, I'm more than happy to part with it for them. I mean, I've done it with things that I bought on a, on a spur, you know, moment that, yeah. that I'm going to learn to play this guitar and have it for like years and not do anything with it. And then, you know, run into someone that goes, man, if I just had a guitar, my, I, mine got stolen when my, you know, my, out of my car and, you know, it wasn't a very expensive one, but you know, I love that thing. And, you know, I was like, really? Oh, well I have, I have one if you want it, you know, yeah. and here, here it is. And they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, just don't leave it in your car, you know? Yeah, don't let it happen again. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. If if I have things that I don't use or, 
you know, I, I haven't used in a long time. It's the same with my kids, man. They have a ton of toys of things and they'll get bored with them and stop playing with them and they end up in boxes and I give them the option. I'm like, you either want to save these things as collectibles or do- donate them, give them to somebody that, that can use them, you know? And so we go through periodic times where we sort everything out and whatever they really don't want, we Just get rid of. Consolidate yeah. it, yeah. That's that's a great way to be, I think. I mean, yeah, it's a great mindset. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of helps with like what we were talking about earlier with like the whole ego thing is that just kind of having that humility helps you not end up being a douchebag. Like a lot sure. of the people that you hear about, like you're saying, like the people that are just like always wanting to be on top, just yeah. looking for that and then just kind of fade into obscurity because they're always just looking to t- to to take and to never give. Yeah. And so I think whenever you're, you know, you have like that giver's heart, people are going to naturally like want you to succeed. You know what I mean? When you see someone like that, that you see is genuinely invested, like just for me personally, when I see someone like that, it's like, man, like I want them to succeed. Yeah. Like you want them to win. And so, yeah, man, that's cool. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. That's an interesting, I, uh, as an interesting uh, concept to kind of, uh, pursue there but um yeah man so one of the other uh one of the other series that i wanted to talk to you about um that i haven't gotten into personally but i've had a couple friends talk about it um i was gonna see maybe you could talk about about like the draw of, of it uh was vampire hunter d oh yeah that's one that i've actually heard about from multiple people and yeah. i've been thinking about getting into what for what? someone like me that's kind of maybe thinking about like getting into it what's like the main draw what's like the cool thing about it. Well, I, Wyamano, he's a character designer, and he designed a lot of different characters for a lot of different animes. He he created the, the Vampire Hunter D character, which he did these beautiful ink and watercolor uh, pictures that actually became the basis for the, the the Vampire Hunter D character. And he's also created the uh, Lancer Yellow Dancer character in the third series of the Robotech, which I thought was interesting too. Huh. Um, the, the draw to any vampire, there's that allure you know the the fact that there's an immortal person here that you know they're also living in this pain that they can't die kind of thing uh he's kind of the weird take on dracula he's supposed to be the son of dracula and it's supposed to be him way in our future so you have this vampire and because of all the things that have happened to the planet he's actually mutated so he actually has a face on his hand that actually talks to him and is sentient you know and the original Vampire Hunter D movie is really horrible. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really terrible animation. I mean, I think it was probably pretty cool for what it was back in the day. The, and the characters are, are really, really over the top. But, you know, there's, there's this um, element to it that is a real draw for some reason. And... I mean, I love the artwork. The artwork itself is what I actually fell in love with before I actually, you know, knew there was a Vampire uh, Hunter D series or, or movie, I should say. And I, I mean, I used to have stacks of his books, and I'd acquired from somewhere, probably stolen from the library or something. But no, <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't. I don't advocate stealing books from the library. <laughs> really, I don't. Um, but I did. I ended up with them somehow. I I, I couldn't tell you exactly where they they came from. Um, I, I ran into a bunch of people when I was in college that were really into um, anime, especially um, 
these uh, slash appas and things like that, where they were doing fan fiction for all these anime stories. And, you know, they kind of pulled me into that culture and somehow somewhere these books popped up somewhere and I ended up with them at least for a period of time. And I just, I love the artwork, I man. I would just stare at the pictures for hours and hours because it was just, it was such great concept. You know, you have this very effeminate looking vampire who's decked out in, you know, these blues and, and grays and uh, blacks and, you know, very mysterious looking figure, all pale with silver hair. And, you know, wears this big, huge brimmed hat and he's got these jewels that are all over it and all over him. You know, it's, there's just something kind of appealing to the look of it, you know? So I understand why people were kind of enamored with the character. So, yeah, I, I had done a, a painting, uh, a watercolor kind of mocking that style, you know, several years ago. I think my friend Mandy, I think ended up with it as a birthday present. I think she has it on her wall at home, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. So it's an interesting take on it just cause it's, you know, it's that, that vampire like that tortured soul type yeah. type take on it but it's just you know especially when they're doing their best to kill all the other vampires and mutants and werewolves and stuff yeah. around because they hate for what they are and they don't want that to spread to anyone else Man. so yeah it's almost just like like a self-deprecating sure like self-hating absolutely and it's kind of like dystopian future type thing um that's yeah that's that sounds cool as hell definitely i um you know, just talking to you earlier, it was just like, there's so many things <laughs> to watch right? that I honestly have been relying on like, a lot of the people that I've talked to about to find series to get into. And one that you mentioned earlier was uh, Castlevania. Yeah, that's, and that's so, turned out pretty um, cool. I think that's going to be the next series that I watch. Um, one, because it's short. <laughs> and uh, two, because um, every, I think it's come up maybe two or three times, um, like with my guests, like a recurring thing. And just gotten rave reviews from people that I really respect. Well, it looks like they're keeping to the source material from the original Castlevania. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's it's very, I mean, this part of it's really kind of a prequel to it. Oh, it's like a a leading up to it. Yeah, it's leading into what would have been the actual Castlevania story which I think they did a really good job on. I mean, the, the animation is beautiful. The story's done really well. The pacing is really well. It's nice. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I, um, I was thinking about that being the next one that I wanted to get into. Um, there's a couple on that list now that have come up as like recurring things that I think are going to be the next on my list. So that's definitely at the top. Um, just cause that one's gotten rave reviews. Gotcha. Uh, Stein's gate and paranoia agent are the other two. And so I don't know if you're aware of those at all, but no, I'll have to look into that. Though. Yeah. So those are ones, um, they seem to be coming up every time. <laughs> like I have someone on there like, dude, you got to check those out. Or if like, if I, if I mention them just as we're talking, then they get all um, if they know them, yeah, Ooh. they're like, whoa, like, yeah. Like I, you know, like when someone talks yeah. about something that you like, you're like all excited. You're like, yes. Like I definitely want to talk about that. Um, so yeah, I definitely appreciate like a lot of the kind of the throwback ones that you're throwing me because like maybe I wasn't aware of like some of them or like. I didn't know like the appeal of some of them. So I have to check out some of those for sure. Like, yeah. uh, like the ones we were talking about earlier, but in that vein, um, I thought it was funny. You talking about like the music that you enjoy. Yes. Um, the funny thing was like, you said you basically like any, the band yeah. like, in quotes, the, <laughs> yeah, the, so yeah, he had, he had here the clash, the police, the damn, the misfits, the cure, like anything, <laughs> any, the bands. Yeah. And so it's funny whenever I like, 
just me personally, when I talk about bands like that or bands I like, um, I'm sure it was exactly what you did. You're like talking, you were just typing bands that you liked and you're like, apparently it was just like any the band. (laughs) And so that just kind of cracked me up the way that you phrased it. Um, but yeah, what is it just like, a, you know, was that just the appeal of what everyone was listening to when you're coming up? Well, you know, when I was coming up, yeah. Everybody wasn't listening to that. You know, I, okay. I came in on the alternative scene before it was called the alternative scene. It was, yeah. I guess, the the new wave scene, you know. Um, it was still kind of really underground at the time, you know. It, it didn't really take off to mainstream until, like, I guess the, the late 80s when MTV started doing, like, 120 minutes and they started popping up in there. And mm-hmm. But, you know, I was a huge Cure fan and huge Police fan. And, you know, I love The Who because they were kind of the precursor to the punks. And uh, party for the world. Uh, there was there was a bunch of things that I, I liked that nobody really knew about, or if they did, it was all the the cool kids that you know they're, they're all the the goth kids before they, we were the goth oh, yeah. kids, you know, kind of thing. And I, that was the kind of music that I always liked because I never cared for mainstream pop, and I never cared for hair band music, and you know. Uh, I mean, I had really long hair at the time, and I had some girls like, oh, do you like poison? I'm like, yeah, but as much as like somebody stabbing me in the eyes with a needle. She's <laughs> like, oh, I love them too. And, you know, that that kind of thing. I Just, just I would, like the mindless uh, yeah, stuff that everyone yeah, liked. Yeah, I just I was not into that when everybody else was. And yeah. so, you know, I kind of kept my music hidden to myself, except for the few other nerds that were like, like me, that know. we were all kind of, you know, yeah. into the same sound. and. It wasn't until, you know, I actually moved up here to go to school and it was more, it was more in the, the know here, you know, um, and I kind of fell in with a crowd of people that, that liked the same things that I did. And those became my college friends. And those are people I still have friends today. Yeah. You know? I think it's, uh, it goes to say that, you know, thinking about these bands now, you're like, of course, like, why weren't those like the big bands back then? But it, it's because like now that they've been given time and like we go back and see like what the yeah. the impact they had on music back then sure and the way that they helped progress music to where it is now yeah um I mean, bands like um you know the misfits or like the cure like now those are like yeah those are like staples sure but back then it's like well that's like weird that's, yeah like that know, that's the mindset of people back then like this and, is different so it doesn't minor threat and, yeah you know, all these, it doesn't fit into our box and way so back we don't in the like day it and, and you know you would hear You'd hear one of their songs in a movie, like you who know, was that? Minor Threat, Minor Threat, or, yeah. or, or was it um, Suicidal Tendencies, or things like that? You'd oh hear, yeah, you hear a song somewhere in a movie, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I like punk music, and I'm like, no, yeah. you don't. You you like this because you you heard this in a movie, and it's a cool fucking song, and the only reason you like it is because you know you were telling me a week ago how much you hated punk and people that had mohawks and all this stuff, you know. Yeah, now, but, but it, it becomes a trendy thing, yeah, and then, because it's like the thing that's popping. Now. Yeah, yeah, and then once it kind of goes mainstream and it kind of loses its its you know edge to it and you can still appreciate it for what it is but then you kind of don't want to listen to it anymore because everybody yeah. else is listening well, it's, to yeah, it it's like the thing the you know what we call hipsters now is like and i i'm this way about bands like i don't know if it's you know <laughs> actively or just something innate but I'll I'll like find a band that I really like, like discover a band. People always say, yeah. Um, but I'm like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. Like, and you'll listen to them when they're relatively unknown, 
and then they get they hit it big and then the people are like well i don't like them anymore now yeah. that they're like the mainstream or whatever or like they sold out people sure. say. yeah and mean, it's like man what like why does it why is it the disconnect now because you liked them before but now that they're getting some buzz you don't like them well okay i can give you an example of that for myself <laughs> uh i i used to like wayne coins band back in the day when they first started coming out but as I've got to know who Wayne is as a person, I don't listen to the music anymore because I don't like him. Oh, shit. Sorry, you, uh, Wayne. He had like a bad interaction I, with him? You or? know, not me personally, but I mean, I don't like that he's buddy-buddy with Fallon because she's like the worst piece of shit the ah. state has ever seen. Yeah. And he's like fired one of his members because he got upset because her daughter was impersonating a Native American in, in a headdress. He actually got upset at his bandmate getting upset about that that's tacky man, man. I, I you know so th- that would be an example of me not liking someone but it's mostly because of, of who that person is and not their music yeah know? that's kind of like an underlying thing beside behind the music of like a reason or why yeah maybe yeah. that you it was someone that you enjoyed before but because yeah you find out about Don't get me them. wrong, though. I, I like our scene. Our, well, yeah. We have a good music scene around here, man. David yeah. Bull's band, Dr. Pants, best nerd rock you're going to find. Yeah, I was going to say, let's get He's, into some of the ones you're talking about, the local <laughs> bands you like. Dave's actually a, a teacher at UCO in the music department as well. Oh, and, is he? And yeah, yeah. I, I met him. Shows. Yeah, I met him several years ago. And... Um, uh, Than Medlin also, he's a a professor at UCO in the music department. He's got a band called Equilibrium, and they they do a a jazz. They do jazz. They they were at the uh, Cowboy Bebop uh, art show at the Speakeasy. They did the music. Oh, man, Man, that's crazy. Such a great, great great. show. Yeah, he does this great cover of, um, um, what is it? Um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And it's just huh. incredible. I mean, really, really good. I always look forward to that when he's in town doing that show. And uh, Michael Bender, he lives in Norman. He's part of the the Swan Group down there for the songwriters. And he's got a band called uh, Heartbreak Rodeo and does a great little uh, Ghostbusters tune called Sweet Janine, <laughs> which is really, really good. I mean, really huh. awesome. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good bands around here. I mean, I like Sunnyside Up, and then I heard that they they split up, and they were a great ska band, man. I thought they were going to go everywhere. Man, I think it, like with you mentioning that one specifically was just uh was just crazy, just because like ska had come up in the conversation I was having with someone, and then we like I saw that you had it said that uh, that band, that ska band. So it's just like. How will all of a sudden there's two instances of me talking about ska this week, yeah. and I haven't listened to them. Like I used to just listen to like Five Iron Frenzy and stuff sure. like that, and so it's like wow. Like now twice this week I've talked to someone about ska. So well, that's it's cool, like, man. It's it's a blast. Well, I guess we're past. getting ready to hit like the real big wave. fish, man. Fourth fourth wave <laughs> or fifth wave now. Because, you, you know, Goldfinger put a new album out, too. Oh, my Just God. Dropped Those guys are going to put ago. out more albums. Those guys are going to outlive me. Probably. And <laughs> still put out albums. After I'm long dead. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't listen to new stuff as much anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that, man, music really has to move me emotionally one way or the other. It either has to be something that I can relate to. It has to pull on my heartstrings. Or if, if it doesn't, I just don't care anymore. You know, I'll, I'll hear something and 
you know, I'll be like, why? I mean, I think auto tune is going to be like the, the rise and decline of our Western civilization. Because, <laughs> you know, you can put auto tune on anybody and well, they don't sound better, but they don't sound, you know, completely horrible either. Yeah. But there's, there's not mush. a lot of things that really move me anymore. And I, I have a tendency to like, I'll watch the event listings for bands that are going to pop in playing at, at uh, like the Anthem Brewery or something. And I'll um, see who it is and I'll pull them up on iTunes and I'll start going through their music and I'll start, I'll give them a fair shake, you know, and man, the majority of them, it's just really, really, this is what <laughs> people is consider <laughs> music now. I mean, yeah. it's so subpar, you know, it's, it's something that's already been done before and have been done better. <laughs> you know, you got, you got people that just, I, it, I don't know. I mean, then I, you know, I run into somebody that just really kind of blows me away. And, and you know, uh, I've actually become pretty good friends with these guys and it's the outer vibe out of Nashville. And they were here several months ago and I've been Facebook friends with them for a little while and we have lots of conversations and, um, they want to come back through here because they really enjoyed the crowd and, uh, they're going to try to make it back here in October, but it looks like they're going to go ahead and start working on the new album first so then they're going to try to be back around here on February or March. But to be honest with you, I was really shocked because like I listened to one song and I'm like, wow, I really like that. And I was like, man, it's got to be like the one hit wonder. And then I hear the next song and the next song and the next song. And I listen to this whole album. And I'm just in awe of this music. And I'm like, finally, we've got somebody back in here that actually feels like it moves me again, you know? So I'm, I'm happy to, go out of my way to do anything for those guys because you know they're they're not a big big band you know they know what they want to do they're they're taking the steps to do it they're in control of all their music and um they're just good people you know i mean to to just sit and actually talk to them it's like man these are the kind of people i'd like to hang around with all the time yeah you you get i mean they're they're extremely intelligent one so you can actually hold a conversation with them and you can bounce an idea off of it and they can take it to a level that you weren't expecting so i like that i I like to be and and that's one of my draw to the artist community itself there's the synergy that happens when you get a bunch of artists together that you can feel the vibe in the room excited man yeah you can feel this vibe in the room that you realize that you're part of this community and when this person goes man i have this idea for this thing but you know i just don't have this element of it and this person goes well wait a minute that's great because I do have that element of it. And this other person goes, yeah, well, and I have the space for it too. And the next thing you know, you're making a film. Yeah. You know, and, and I can see, I can see that because I've been in the part of that, you know, and I love that. I love that there's enough resources in this town. If you just put away your ego, that there's lots of people that want to do the same kind of things, you know, and collaborative mindset. Absolutely. And, and that is the key collaborative. You're never going to do anything that's just you it's not going to go anywhere you're you have to have other people involved in this because one there's a lot of time involved and you have to be able to manage your time well to be able to to do the creative side of it and then the marketing side of it as well and when you have more hands that can you know pull the weight then all of a sudden this thing that was an idea that one person had and then these people have these contributing elements to it all of a sudden you have this cool ass product that yeah. everybody's going wow you guys did this i know right you know <laughs> yeah it's like it's the collaborative mindset and like you said like I always i will always quote this because i heard a 
Jill Castilla say it from oh, I like uh, Jill. Do you know Jill? She uh, she spoke in a class that I was in at UCO, and it was like the most profound thing I've heard her say. But it was uh, your ego is not your amigo. That's right. And so it's like, man, that is so true. I like probably tweet that and tag her like once a week. I bet She's you probably do. sick of seeing me She's like put like, it. Oh there. God, Harold, just yeah, put it away, man. <laughs> but it's it's true though, because like there's yeah, like that, that ego, and it's just like, man, like. There's so many people that would be cool to do things with, but they just think their shit doesn't stink. And like yeah. they think that they're better, like holier than thou. And it's like, God damn, like well, you could be so cool if you weren't just such a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really sad. And, and I hate to say it, but I really do kind of steer clear of those kind of people because one, I don't want to be influenced by them. I don't want to be that kind of person ever. And I don't want, I don't want to have bring somebody into a project like that. And this, this almost happened and I'm not going to mention any names of who it was, but there, there was a person that I had approached me about some projects and they were trying to get the ball rolling on some of this stuff, you know, without, I was like, great, wonderful. If you can make this happen, that that's great. And then I started seeing some posts about somebody that, you know, had asked him a question and he like, tore him a new asshole. I mean, he was going off on them. I mean, not so just, not just going off, but I mean, being totally belligerent and hateful uh, for no reason, you know? And I like messaged him and I was like, dude, what the hell is this conversation about? And he goes, Oh, you know, this person's wanting stuff for free and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that's not what I'm reading in this message. This is not what I'm reading in this message at all. This is a person who is trying to be, is trying to let you off graciously for being a total asshole to them and you aren't getting the hint and you're making it worse. And I was like, you know, here's the deal. If we were working on a project together and you were talking to my people like that, I said, I would beat the shit out of you just for doing that. Yeah, I was like, I cannot believe that you think that that's okay to talk to people like this. I was like, how do you expect to work with people like this if you're going to get this attitude? Oh, well, it's just this one person. And I'm like, no, it's not. I was like, for one, you don't publicly shame somebody for asking a question. They, they, it may have been a really naive thing that they ask you, but there's no reason yeah, to, to do that. Shit on them. Yeah, yeah, completely. So much so that I contacted that person, apologized to them for this person's behavior, and then went out of my way to try to find the people that she could use to do what she needed to do. Yeah. Because I, I didn't think it was necessary. It's just like know? overkill. Yeah, extremely. But it's like people and people think that like people say that they'll say, well, it's just like this one off thing, like this person's being dumb. But it's like people are seeing that. Like, yeah, you're you're on social social, media and you post that on the Web. It's there. Everyone's seeing that. That's that's there forever. dude. You you have just tarnished your reputation, at least in my eyes. I'm not going to work with you now. There's no reason for me to work for somebody like that, you know, and I'm glad that I found that up front now, except for when we're out in the middle actually doing a project and something (laughs) like that happened. (laughs) That would have been awkward. Oh yeah. Then, then to be like, Oh, you know, that Jackson Ryder dude, man, he just went off on this guy and just, you know, beat the shit out of him, you know? And then I'd have to explain <laughs> how this come about. Well, here's the but, context for that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't have to do that. Cause I kind of caught it before it became a problem. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I really enjoy the, you know, we keep talking about like this collaborative, uh, scene. Can you maybe talk about like the, just how that is like, as far as like Oklahoma city, um, everything is so local centric. Is yeah. that kind of what keeps you here? Like as far as like investing in this community? Sure. And, I, and I'm a student again too. So that's, that's got me here. I mean, obviously the politics in this state 
I don't even get me started on that. But I mean, that's really the state's downfall is the politics in this place. And if people would ever pull their heads out of their asses and get somebody in here that's not, you know, money centric, who who wants to take a, a chunk from all the energy companies and whatnot and actually, you know, go to work for the community, I think this place would be like top dollar. You know, that's not happening right now. And the re- reason that I, I like to stay here is because I do have a great network of people. There are, I mean, most people are like, oh, you know, the talents in California, the talents in New York. Well, you know, that's true. But those people came from the Midwest. Those people got sick of the shit that was going on in their state. Yeah. And they went somewhere else where they didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. And and it's sad to say, but I mean, we do have a really great talent pool here. Um when I first started trying to get comic books off the ground, I knew nobody in this state that did this work. Nobody, nobody at all. Uh, it wasn't until Scott Sackett decided that he was going to create the Oklahoma comic creators Facebook page. And all of a sudden, you know, people were joining this and, you know, making introductions and, you know, someone's like, oh, hey, you know, I got this idea for this project and I need an artist for it. Oh, hey, you know, I, I don't mind doing that. Let's let's do this. And, you know, I think that was probably I think it's probably been up now. Probably about five, almost six years. And I mean, we're a tight knit group now. I, I can't even tell you how many people are on there now. Probably a thousand. But we all know each other. And we all see each other at conventions and we all help each other critique things and, and, you know, do work with each other. And there's just immense talent pool of just comic book creators. And that's not talking about, you know, the artist people like, you know, uh, Romeo Owens and her projects that she's doing and um, Adam Lerman and um, God, there, there's dozens of people that, you know, have galleries and have art shows that are here that are just stellar work. I mean, way more so than what you would see in a lot of other places. And people just don't realize that. I mean, there's a great art scene. There's a great music scene. And it's, it's just, it, it blows me away that there's not more recognition for that. You I know? know. It's like, we're always, no matter how far we get, we're still the underdog every time. Yeah. It's like, man, where are like, yeah. why can't we get away from like that stigma type thing? Like, well, I think it's just, a, I think if you if you stop taking away the incentives for things, you know, I mean, I, you the the movie projects people bailed on all these movies that were going to be made here because they took away the tax incentive for it. You know, instead of taxing all these corporations fairly like they should be doing, they like it's basically corporate welfare, and you know they kill the programs that don't usually take a lot of money anyway for in place of things that you know. Well, we know we need this billions and billions of dollars that, you know, these companies need this to stay here in Oklahoma. Well, you know, that's not true. Yeah. You know, and I think if they can ever get past that point and then actually show everybody that we're not a bunch of backwards idiots, (laughs) you know, that we really do have this great culture that's here and able to express it so people can see it. I really think that, you know, this would be like the new Austin and the new, you know, South by Southwest kind of thing. I mean, the dead center film festival is really kind of making a mark here. And, you know, I'd like to see more things like that 48 hour film project. I would love to see more things like that. Yeah. Those things are super fun. And it's like the thing, the things that will bring us to the forefront 
are things like that being put on like to the to the larger scale? Sure. I think there's actually a Norman Film Festival going on uh, next month, or is it this month? I'm not certain. It's either this month or next month. Um, but Norman's doing their own film festival. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's just like you know, those are the things that are like big right now, and those are gonna you know bring us and elevate our art scene if well, we can get those. All look at Georgia. Out. I mean, look at all the Marvel films that are being filmed in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Look and at the Walking, Walking Dead. Dead is there. You yep. know, there's they they are going out of their way to make their place a state that people will want to go film there. I mean, it's obviously cheaper than being in New York or in uh, Los Angeles. I mean, even cheaper than going to Vancouver. And Vancouver is pretty cheap when it comes to making films. Uh, yeah, I mean, Atlanta, <laughs> they've they've got it figured out. I mean, they've they've decided that you know. This this is the new Hollywood. Yeah, you're gonna make it happen. Yeah, and they are. And then there's all sorts of things that are coming out of there. I mean, the majority of the stuff that you're seeing on TV now is coming out of there. Yeah, I mean that makes sense for sure. Um, man, Jackson, I appreciate you coming out and giving us some of the inside, like on like the art scene. Well, and I appreciate you having me yeah. anytime. Um, why don't you tell, why don't you tell people real quick where they can find you, like online on social media stuff uh, like that. Well, we're in and the process talk about some of, of the projects you have coming up too. Yeah, we're we're in the process of uh, putting up a new site, so I, I can't really tell you exactly when that's going to be up. But that's for my company, Enigma Endeavors Productions, and um, basically we'll be able to you'll be able to see the comic books that I have, and you'll be able to order poster prints and the comic books from there. Right now, uh, you can get the digital versions on Comicsology, or you can get them on uh, IndiePlanet.com. You can look my name up or look up Enigma Endeavors Productions and uh, our comic books are in there. Uh, we have a trade that's going to be coming out. Hopefully, we're shooting for early next year. Hopefully, the artwork will be done by the end of this year. It's called Wrong Side of Right. Uh, it's artwork's being done by Joe Frost, and he lives in Tulsa. And uh, Teresa DePiler is a artist in spain she lives in madrid she's actually picked up my comic book illustrated girl and is working on the third issue of it right now but she's also coloring uh an issue that we're doing that's or another comic book series i'm doing with Mario williams that's called uh, designation lone star and so we're hoping to have that book out at least the first issue of that by the end of this year so as soon as the, the artwork's done for it, as soon as the coloring's done on it, and I get it lettered, we'll be good to go on that. So lots lots of things in the pipe. And there's also uh, two other artists that I've picked up recently that I will be doing some uh, young adult and children's prose stories with lots of illustrations for that we're going to try to uh, market towards uh, Scholastic and uh, hoping that that goes well too because there's a lot of fun story ideas for that. But... Not a lot actually, you know, on the shelf right now, except for, you know, the stuff that's been out for the last year or so. But there's a whole bunch of things that are going on in the background and there's probably going to be a ton of things that will be out early next year. Yeah, that's exciting, man, for sure. Um, uh, as far as like social media, do you have like uh, Instagram, or um, Facebook? And all on that? Instagram, uh, you can look for Enigma Endeavors Production LLC or my name, Jackson Compton. I think we're one in the same on there. And really, I Instagram, I only use that because Teresa DePiler uses that. She doesn't use Facebook. And so I got to keep in touch with my artists. But um, you can find you know me on Facebook and you can find Enigma Endeavors on Facebook. And there are also the fan pages for the comic books in there. So you, if you go to the Enigma Endeavors page, you can find the links for those. 
Cool, man. Well, yeah. Thanks again for coming out again. I appreciate it, Harold. Yeah, Thank again, you very much. You, you guys can follow us on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the uh, social media, all of it, all the social media. That's uh, Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. And then you can stream us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you stream your your podcasts. So, yeah. Thanks again for coming out, Jackson. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I look forward to coming back. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.